on the Photoshore Newspeaking production. This call is now being recorded. And it's another episode of Two on the Phone, and I'm very excited this week about this guest. Uh, we've been talking for a few minutes, and I just think this is going to be one of the best uh, podcasts yet in the whole wide world. But, you know, we'll have to <laughs> make sure that. <laughs> no pressure. No pressure, Lon. Um, go ahead and introduce yourself. Uh, my name is Lon Kiefer. I'm known as Doc, the Defender of Caregivers, and I'm the host of the Caregiver Stories podcast. And, uh, Lon, where, where are you from this area originally? Are you from the Eastern Shore, or uh, where did you oh, grow up? Oh, gosh. We're into the deep waters already. I'm a, I'm a child of nowhere. I, I was born in California, lived in 13 states before I was 13 years old. Learned how to make friends so I didn't get beat up, but didn't learn how to stay in any kind of a niche or a network. I'd all, as soon as I'd get in one, I'd, I'd look for another one. You know, I mean, I was, I was good at, you know, finding a way to survive. I never went back to California until I was 50 and was taken there to speak at a national conference. And uh, so I'm a child of nowhere, but to, to answer your question more directly, I guess Baltimore was my home during my uh, high school years, and uh, then I moved to Sussex County. Uh, lower, slower in, I think it was, uh, 93. Um, so I'm a, I'm one of them. I'm a, I'm a come here. I'm not a from here. Oh no, not a come here. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't check. I didn't do the background check. Oh my goodness. No, I, you know, I find it, I find it hilarious that that's even a term because having grown up here, I, it hasn't always been that there, the people, you know, shun away from, you know, and put a label on the people that aren't from here. I don't feel like it was always that way. My grandmother never said anything. Um, you know, she lived in um, right outside of uh, Millville all of her life for 88-some years, and I don't remember her once saying, oh, you know, that person over there, they just moved here. We can't talk to them. You know, it was never like well, that. And now I the more people that move here, it's those people that say, oh, we can't talk to those people. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, you know, Sussex County's on the map now. What do they call it? The silver tsunami. You know, everybody's coming there and they're retiring there. And, that, you know, it's great because they bring their tax revenue, but they don't rely on the school systems. They The health care improves because that's what the one thing they're consuming. I mean, it's great. But the whole – the the whole come here from here thing is is it's just it's just so funny because the the arrogant side of me would say yeah well look where we are you know what what do you what you know what are you so proud of that you're you're looking down on me for coming here or what have you but the the flip side of that I always used to do this joke about the Bay Bridge and having a uh, toll and I always said yeah I'm going to tell you because remember back when uh, William Donald Schaefer called the Eastern Shore the outhouse of Maryland or something like that I do I remember uh, it well and there was the outhouses put on the back of pickup trucks and right right, right around right. Annapolis yeah. right right so my my joke is well where do you pay the toll you know you pay the toll to get the hell out of Baltimore and come to the Eastern Shore you know because you know uh, nobody's going to pay to go back into Baltimore <laughs> especially <laughs> anyway. <now. laughs> Yeah, and and so now I'm in trouble in two states uh, with everybody that's going to be potentially listening to your podcast. I, I've I've got a bullseye on my back, but uh, uh, I spent a lot of time in both areas to this day, and uh, I, I'm I'm a very proud uh, Delmarvian. 
And 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 the fact that that's a term is even funny too. But anyway, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you know, obviously uh, you're a comedian. Uh, you know, when did that start? Were you always, um, I guess, were you always funny from a young age, or um, when did you realize that you you had this talent? Oh God, I don't know that I have the talent. Ask anybody that's seen me on stage. The uh, <laughs> the uh, I mean it. You know, a good comic is a very practiced, very, very, uh, I mean, the, the, to, to be good at that craft is hard, hard, hard work. And, uh, you know, uh, I, you know, I don't want to correct you right off the bat, but I, I think of myself as a caregiver, uh, more than as a comic, but my vehicle for sharing my message is comedic. And when I was, uh, you know, a much younger man in Baltimore, I, I, did about two years uh, open mic night comedian and then a, a year touring the Northeast as a professional comedian. And, you know, it served me well in life. You know, it's, uh, I, I say uh, humor, uh, I'm terrible with acronyms. I use them all the time too much, but I refer to humor as a healthy understanding of moments others recognize or reject. Because if you're in a, if you're in an environment and there's a group of you and you're all laughing, you're all sharing something. You're all understanding what's going on. The hardest thing to learn when we learn a language is to learn the subtlety and nuances of humor because we don't have that shared cultural experience. So if you're in that same group and somebody's not laughing, they're either not part of the team or they're not paying attention or they don't understand something. They're rejecting that moment of team building and bonding. So, uh, you know, I'm more of a, a, a storyteller of parables with with a comedic bent than I am a, a true stand-up comedian. Um, Understood. Um, so, uh, you know, they always say laughter is the best medicine, and obviously I'm sure you agree with that. You know, when, you know, when you went the caregiver route, uh, when did you realize and what drew you to being a caregiver and, you know, that whole, how did that all metabolize? Uh, again, one of the things I try and do uh, on my podcast, Care, Caregiver Stories podcast, is I talk to professional and personal family caregivers about their experiences and did humor help them or, you know, uh, what was their actual experience that got them through that. And my personal experience uh, is that, uh, listen, I was, I, I you know, I went into nursing at a time when, you know, the the joke back then, uh, you know, is that, you know, I'd say, and as a matter of fact, this won me award as, you know, youngest up-and-coming comedian in Baltimore in like 1984 or 5. The joke was that I'm a male nurse. And they said, so, and people would like to have a questioning tone. You're a male nurse? You know, like, are they questioning my masculinity or my profession? Because back then, men did not go into nursing. Well, now... It's like 40, 45%, 35%, somewhere. It's a high number uh, of all incoming students in nursing school are men. And, you know, I paved that road, you know. <laughs> but, but yeah, I don't know what it I was. I mean, you're going to name a nursing school after you, I'm sure. That, that's right. But, I mean, I don't know what it was, but something drew me to be a, a caregiver. Um, you know, my dad, uh, I... I want to be careful how I do this because I don't want to be disrespectful to him, but I would be doing a disservice to your listening audience if I didn't invite them 
to embrace whatever, are, you know, your weaknesses or challenges are because they come your strengths and your strengths become your weaknesses. But I grew up, uh, one of the reasons I moved 13 times is my dad had a mental illness. He was uh, schizophrenic and uh, manic depressive with a little bit of a paranoid flavor to it. And, you know, a lot of folks with mental illness, whether it's just depression, they, 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 they think somehow they're going to be scorned if they talk about it or they're weak if they seek help or what have you. Well, my dad was kind of the reverse. He didn't seek help because he felt good. You know, he was manic. He was euphoric when he wasn't uh, being treated or medicated. So he would frequently not seek help, and the family suffered as a result. We moved 13 times because relationships would get broken or careers would get ended. It started when he was in the military, and they moved us around a lot. But I just have to think that at a very young age, uh, I learned that I had to take care of my sisters and my mom, and I think that... That's where the caregiver thing got started. That, um, you know, I I was in a situation about uh, five years ago um, where my grandmother, um, she, you know, like I said, very healthy woman her whole life, lives in the same place, very stable. Um, she started showing, you know, signs of age and uh, dementia and all that stuff. And, you know, there were, it's funny that you said about the funny moments getting you through because that was what helped us because it was a very quick decline. But there was, you know, many moments where she would call us by the wrong name. Um, she, someone that she knew, a friend of mine that she had known a long time, probably about 30 years, she said to her, I'm sorry, I've never seen you before in my life. And, yeah. you know, even to this day, I take, I find that funny. I mean, I, I, it's sad. The whole thing is sad. But, you know, I understand what you're saying about being able to find the humor. Because if you don't find the humor in it and you can't laugh, you're going to just cry all day long. So that doesn't help anybody. So Yeah, and we, so, all, we, all, we all can get caught up in, in, I refer to it as distorted, you know, in the stressful purpose of, uh, I mean, uh, listen, people that are fully engaged in, in a caregiver uh, ro role or scenario, they don't want to hear that there's anything funny about what's going on. But there is, I mean, I, you know, I talk about it all the time. I mean, some of the biggest, best, most lasting, memorable laughs I've ever had has been at funerals. And the, the, the point of it is, is that once you peel the scab on an emotion, once you, once you're, whether you're sad or you're happy, it's now sideways. It's not linear. It's easy to shift over into happy or sad. Once you're feeling one emotion, it's very easy to feel other emotions. And, uh, you know, it's, 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 it's an emotional thing. And, um, you know, I, I mean, unless you want to do a two hour podcast, I could tell you the story of how I invented the fist bump years ago. And, uh, you know, I was, I was, uh, yeah, that's right. You heard it right. I invented the fist bump. But I, I invented it in a very happenstance way where I had uh, a, a famous person say to me, you know, uh, you, 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 you got a lot of anger and you got a lot of humor and you pick your path. Um, so I, I try and consciously pick the path of humor. But again, humor, it shouldn't be about laughing. It's being about being available to laugh. You know, you don't want to go around like Henny Youngman throwing one-liners, you know, Two people walking to a bar, you know, it starts sounding like Rodney Dangerfield or something like that. That's not what we're talking about. Right. Just being lighthearted. 
So um, do you still get the residuals on inventing the fist bump or, you know? You know, it's a tough I, one to monetize. <laughs> well, I figure, I figure you're owed like a penny for every time a fist bump happens anywhere in the world. So. You know, I'll take it. I'll take it. I, you know what? I don't even <laughs> care about retroactively. You can have the last 32 years. I just want it going forward. I want my royalties <laughs> to start today. And now that you've mentioned it, you know, you could probably get a copyright or something, I would think. I mean, I don't know. I, you know, it's funny. Or... If you get into copyright or trademark, that's what you have to do. You have to prove, you know, who who and when and how. I'm telling you, my story locked it into an almost date and a, and people, circumstances, time, place. I think I could win the rights to it, but I'll let it. I'll let the, you know, the, the universe have it. I, I, I'm you a gonna, giver. You're going to submit that one to the public domain and just let it go? <laughs> Yeah, I think that that's uh, that that's part of uh, uh, fair rights now. One of the things that you and I were talking about, and you kind of you know, talked about it a second ago, but was how the events of your day kind of connect, and you know, you had something happen yesterday that kind of reminded you that everything you do has actions and counteractions, and so to speak. So, do you want to talk about that for a second? Sure. Um, you know, in the, in the caregiver mode, I talk about nature caregivers and nurture caregivers. Some people are born and they're going to seek and accept that role. Other people, the role finds them and they're nurture caregivers where they're born with an E by accepting a burden or responsibility. But either way, here they are, they're taking care of other people and it's stressful. And when we're stressed out, we don't think clearly. We think in distorted terms. And there's a term out there in talk therapy and self-help called cognitive distortions. So when we're preoccupied about something or stressed about something, we don't think or act clearly. Yesterday, I had a big day. I had a lot of travel that I had to do. I had to be in two or three different places. There were you know, important points of transitions in time. And then I was going to, you know, I had to be back because I was doing a podcast last night and I had a guest. And so I'm driving down this road. I think you told me it was, where was I? Sudlersville? Is that where I was? Yeah. You were, you were between Sudlersville and Barclay is what that area is called. Yeah. So I don't even know where the hell I was. I was on a back country road and I was driving too fast. Uh, I was drinking a cup of coffee and I was probably texting, you know what I'm saying? I don't, you know, and I come up ahead of me and I see just lights everywhere, you know, uh, emergency responder lights. And I'm, I'm, I had not seen anybody U-turn or anything like that. So I think I was probably one of the first civilians on the scene. And, uh, you know, a, a helicopter is landing and I'm pulled over. And I, I went to Facebook Live because I thought this was a teachable moment for all of us. I had stopped at Dunkin' Donuts earlier to get a coffee. And they were eight deep, the one in Denton, you know, with that terrible U-turn uh, to get mm-hmm. in. And I just said, oh, there's no way in hell I'm waiting for eight people. I'm late already. I'll just keep on going. So I got right back on and I kept on going. And and then this happens and I'm like, oh, man, you know, thank God I started to stop there. That deviated me maybe long enough. Probably not. I'm probably being melodramatic. But there's just a lot of lessons that hit me at the same time. You know, we're all going too fast. Why do eight people in in that's not Sussex County, but it's Delmarva, you know, in Denton, need to back up in line to get coffee. Can't they have coffee at home? Well it's because our lives are too compressed. We got too much going on. And and so anyway, the point of this is and and the and the parallel here is throughout the day I did a series of four or five 
things that I didn't know I was doing. And those are the ones I was aware of. You want to hear what they were? I mean, and, and sure. the parallel to caregivers? So I'm sitting there, and literally a fire truck pulls up. I think you see that while I'm videoing. It's right in front of me. Three helicopters land. When all these paramedics and firemen get out, and there were women there as well, you know, they might as well have capes on. Well, in the more traditional, non-emergent caregiver side of things, whether it's a nurse or a nursing assistant or what have you, sometimes there's a lot of, uh, you know, conflict in the relationships with the people they serve. They don't necessarily get capes. And then you got the senator out there, Walsh, that says they're playing cards. They're really misunderstood. So this is my passion to just get everybody to have this 360-degree level of appreciation for the relationship we're in. I call it a pro-per relationship, professional-personal, you know, that there's mutual respect and admiration. So I saw that, and all these thoughts, are you still with me because I'm on a filibuster? Did I lose you? Yeah, you, you kind of went dead there for a second. Oh, that's terrible. Do you know how much okay, we lost? No, it, I mean, it was just, I believe it was right at the end. That I, okay, you know, well, I, I just want to edit uh, that out. Oh. No, I don't edit it. Let the people see the real world, of the real world we live in. I mean, that's the point we're making, right? We make mistakes and we don't right. even make, we're not even aware of it. So I got this day that, that I'm preoccupied with all the things that I've got to do. I'm handed this lesson about here's the hero's that are coming to a wreck, and then I see the angle where in other aspects of caregiving, they're not necessarily heroes. Sometimes we have a competitive relationship. But this continued on. I had many things throughout the day, so I had to make a U-turn. So now I'm even later. Well, what I didn't tell you is that the coffee mug I was drinking from was leaking. So rather than get it all over my shirt, I took my shirt off and put on a, a pullover, okay? So then I get to my first destination, and i got to get out of my pullover and into my shirt. Well, I'm driving a, a hybrid Prius that I'm not that used to because I bought it for my sister recently because I'm doing so many miles. You know, these things, once they idle, they get so quiet you don't even know they're on. I left right. my car for six hours with the keys in my pocket, and the car was still running, and I didn't even know it. So I came back six or seven hours later, and there's there's liquid, you know, fluid under the car. And I'm thinking, oh, crap, now i got a leak. I didn't even know the car was on until I tried to turn it on. So we do these things because we've got too much going on and we're not aware of what we're doing. Then on the way home, to get home for the podcast, you know, I, I did it for a friend. You know, it was for a friend to pick up some ice cream. Right. I go by Vandewegs, and it's always too busy to go in. Well, there was nobody there, so I pulled in. I go into Vandewegs, and the, the young guy at the counter points out to me, sir, do you realize that you have a, a crock on your left foot? and a wingtip dress shoe on your right foot. Because I, when I'm driving, I, I change, you know, I change, you know, people have driving gloves. I have driving shoes, right? So, no, I didn't notice that. So we need other people to point these things out in our lives. I mean, it's that easy to get distorted. And I am sorry, but you gave me the mic and I took it. And that's fine. But, you know, I'm very disappointed in you. I'm very disappointed. Because I really feel like you should have said to him, Look what I had just invented. I'm also the inventor of the fist bump, and I just invented wearing a croc and a wingtip shoe. And I don't know what the well, name of that is, but we'll work on that. <laughs> well, that's why I got – I think they call it posing. I don't know what the kids call it. I know that if you wore, like, Nike with Reebok socks, it was posing when my kids were young. So I, I don't know what a croc is uh, and a croc and a wingtip, but uh, we yeah, we got to name it before somebody know. else claims it. Yeah. And, and then, we'll and then a, maybe we'll every, every time – Every time that somebody wears it, maybe we can get a penny. 
you're fixated on that penny. We've got to get you a business plan that's going to give you a quicker return on your your intellectual investment. Yeah, but I mean, move it up. But, uh, I bump. think you deserve a nickel. Yeah. yeah, but a fist bump. I mean, how many fist bumps are there per day? Have you ever figured that out? I mean, you should have a spreadsheet ever, on that. I really, I really. How are you going to ever going to monitor it? I'd need a whole team of people out there enforcing it, collecting pennies. Do you know how hard pennies are to cash in? Your former guest Tom no. Sherman, the inventor of time, is also the 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 godfather of Mooncat comedy, and they do their funny Delmarva's funniest person of the year award. And he gives out like $100 in pennies, and he drops it on the stage, and it takes like eight people to collect those. You can keep your fist bump pennies. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make my bucks on Crocs. <laughs> Croc, Croc tips. <laughs> now, now, maybe you can call the Croc people and maybe figure out a way that they can create like a transformer shoe that goes from wingtip back to Croc. That's actually a hell of an idea. The problem is, though, with social media now, we all have history, and Kevin Hart will tell you it will come back to hurt you. I once posted not that long ago on Facebook that I was going to give up Crocs because they're now the official shoe of overweight men who walk with a limp, and I happen to be all of those things, but I've not given up my Crocs. I just was posing that I was going to. Well, you know. I mean, people, I mean, didn't Abraham Lincoln say, don't believe everything you read on the Internet? I believe that's what I remember. Well, if it was on the Internet, it was true. I mean, I don't know where he's coming up with you can't believe those things. Honest Abe, man. I mean, the Internet, everything on the Internet's true. And, and you know what's funny about that is, you know, being a provider of news and information, I actually have to, and being a person that tries 100% to put fully accurate things out there. I posted that there was an earthquake and no one believes me. Oh, my, you don't want to talk about jumping to conclusions and distortions. Uh, well, wait a minute. Recently, we had another earthquake in, in, in the, on the shore? It was off the coast about two, three months ago. It, nobody felt it. You know, okay. So, yeah, I mean, but it was a pretty strong one, and it's an indication of eh, things to come. Yeah, my my daughter, Taylor, uh, who's now in Jacksonville as a doctor of audiology, just finishing a one-year externship and will begin her career officially June 1st, uh, said, Dad, eventually I'm coming back home to Delmarva. And I said, why? There's, I mean, you've got a career ahead of you. I mean, I'd love for you to come home, but don't feel you have to do that to keep me happy. She said, no, I'm coming there because it's the safest place there is. I mean, you know, at the point that, you know, there was a shooting somewhere, there was a mudslide or an inferno in California or whatever it was. And what we had a tornado uh, touchdown in Seaford Laurel area about two, three weeks ago. And she texted me. She said, I can't come home now, Dad. (laughs) Because it's not safe there anymore. But Back to earthquakes specifically, like seven years ago, I think, uh, um, I was on the phone uh, when an earthquake occurred with my sister who, I don't know, I'm going to get this story wrong, but I, I, I told her she was being melodramatic, um, but we, we've had earthquakes in Delmarva. Yeah. Oh, yeah. About, about seven or eight years ago, I remember I was... Uh, working in Newport, Delaware, and it was in a metal building at the time, and we had that one that was kind of the epicenter was right off of, you know, the the Atlantic Ocean, and I felt the walls roll, and that's yeah. a very scary feeling, to be honest, um, yeah. but 
you know, the, the weather and that kind of stuff is constantly changing. I saw a post this morning that there was uh, 10 or 15 earthquakes this morning off the coast of California. No, oh, wow. Well, yeah, actually, I took uh, you. I, I, I'm like a, a a squirrel with with jumping onto topics and running off and everything like that. You know, you you started that on uh, the whole sort of trying to be truthful in what you put out and people being so quick to dismiss things and the you know the I don't do politics, but the whole fake news thing. I mean, it you know it's it's tough. How you know where do you get your information? And that's one of the things that I love about podcasts. I mean, you said you were gonna edit that that blank spot where it was a you know it wasn't you or me it was the technology and that that's your call whether you edit it or not but i love the the long form free expression of podcasts because it's genuine and it's honest and way back into my caregiver world thing the internet is a wonderful place because it it, it gives people that are shut in you know a, a window into the world but that window can be so biased you know people put up their you know, if you're going through something tough and you see people that are taking, you know, that are putting pictures of their their food and their wedding anniversaries and, you know, their life is wonderful, it can it can give you necessary information but can also give you stimulation that, that's not helpful. So I don't know how to get that perspective, but I thank podcasts in general and hopefully mine for giving that kind of a true perspective uh, that is helpful to people. I think it's all about balance in life, no matter what you're talking about. And, you know, it's great to see some of those happy times and everything. And it's not always great to see those happy times, depending on, like you said, what you're going through. But, um, yeah. you know, one of the things that I have discussed on multiple episodes is, you know, Facebook especially. You know, there's Facebook warriors out there that will post whatever they want with, you know, they're, they're behind a keyboard and they don't care. And I deal with that every day with my news page. Um, and I actually, you know, I'm one of the few news pages out there where I actually delete comments. I don't delete them all, but I delete comments that aren't helpful or productive to what is being reported. Because, you know, I'm sorry, wow doesn't do much for, you know, anything as far as a news story. And putting someone down whether they're the victim or whether they're the uh, criminal, I don't see how productive that is. So yeah. I monitor those comments because I just don't want to be a part of that. Um, yeah. And I, yeah. you know, I, I, I fight the whole, oh, it's freedom of speech and blah, blah, blah. Well, in my mind, it really is a freedom of speech if you're going to degrade someone and call them a different gender or whatever, you know, whatever it is. It's, it's just crazy. I guess my question for you is, do you think enough is being done about, and this is kind of along the caregiver thing, about bullying and things like that that happen to adults? You know, we're trying to focus on it with children, but I feel like that happens to adults every day. Yeah, social media is so, you know, what do they call it, keyboard warriors? You know, you don't have to live with your 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 actions or your behavior. You can get away with saying or doing things i mean the the analogy for me was when i was a kid i'm not proud of this and I, oh, I did it as an adult you know once or twice in my life where i'd let the emotions get the better part of me and maybe you flip somebody the bird actually the whole uh fist bump story when i was a young man i mean it's a great story it's a, and and i don't mean to 
torment people. Maybe we can get together another time and tell it. But it started with me giving the finger to somebody and immediately getting uh, having to own my own behavior, and it didn't go well. I mean, it ended with a great story, but there were some moments in there where, you know, I had to live with my own co- the consequences of my own actions, and uh, it, you know, it was it was it was a lifelong. Uh, memory and I share it from the stage uh, to to make the point um, and I just think that that uh, there's two things you know bullying yes people come to the aid of those being bullied now probably more than ever but people have an ability to bully more now than ever I don't really see it happening in real life though do you I mean I don't really no. see you know people one-on-one, you know, being, being I, jerked. I, I, yeah, I personally think, you know, I have the scanner on pretty much 24-7 listening to the police side of things, the fire thing, side of things. So I think I'm in tune to what's being reported, so to speak. But, no, I don't think it happens in real life. And I, I've noticed a trend of um, late of the police getting a lot of harassment calls and the extra information that they tell them is that the person was being harassed on Facebook. And that happens much more, and I'd say over the past year, that me hearing that has probably doubled or tripled. So what, that, that's life imitating art, right? So social media, yeah. you know, our, our, our social lives are spilling over into our real lives. You know, the behavior that they do in a virtual world is ruining behavior in the real world. Uh, rather than the reverse. It's not that social media is reflecting what we're doing in our lives. It's starting to drive. I mean, you know, I mean, there's people out there that think we're in a simulation. I mean, we may not be in a simulation, but we're acting as though, uh, we, we are. I, I mean, yeah. uh, you know, you, you, you've got me into some, uh, uh, deep waters here, but it's comfortable. You know, the water's warm. I, I'm, I'm enjoying what we're talking about here, but I didn't see myself going there. But I absolutely get that, um, that, that, you know, I mean, people do ruthless things on, on the Internet. I don't usually see them doing it in the real world, though. And, and when I do, uh, it is some spillover or carry or carryover from what started uh, in the virtual world. In, in 1995, I was selling um, Internet at a kiosk in the White Marsh Mall. And, um, for a company and it was dial up internet. You paid a yearly fee, blah, blah, blah. And people would come up to me and say, well, I don't want that internet because this is on that or, you know, that is on it. And I used to tell people, well, it's not much different than the real world. You can, you know, if it, you know, they would talk about porn, they would say, oh, porn's all over that. Well, you can walk into the 7-Eleven at the time. You could walk into the 7-Eleven and get a Playboy or, you know, get whatever. Um, so I would say, you know, it's related to the real world. But now I feel like we've transgressed kind of that now we talk about the Internet like it is the real world. And so many people yeah. do that. That it's, I mean, yeah. I, I had another discussion that, you know, it's basically an addiction. It, it really oh, I, and I, I am clearly addicted to my phone. And I, I, I don't say that lightly. I mean, I... I because of the profession that I'm in, uh, I really can't get away from it. But, Lord, I wish I could. Um, 
do but do you but i mean what would you be doing with that extra time do you think i don't know i did all right before i had it i mean i you know uh uh my girlfriend well my fiance in my in in my age that seems like such a weird word that's why i believe in short uh engagements but uh, <laughs> uh girlfriend's even a girlfriend's even a weirder word but you can't call him your friend you get in trouble for that but my fiance said to me the other day that she was bored uh, and there was a reason she couldn't be doing certain things or what have you and i thought i don't think i've been bored a day in my life i i feel like I've either got a million real things to do or a million thoughts uh, to get out. And and I frequently will look at this daggone phone and I'm like, you know, yeah, I, I get it. Do you really wish that you could get away from it? Um, probably not because today's world, it's such a key part of it. But I did all right before I had it. I mean, I remember being, I mean, I know that this phone has been a source of great sadness for me uh, in the sense that, you know, a thing, whether it's an email that I didn't need to see, it was not time sensitive, was negative in nature, pops up to me in real time. And because it's here, I'm aware of it when I didn't need to be. And that negative emotion could have waited. I don't know how to shut that part of it off and get only the good side. I wish there was like a mode you could put it on where it only, you know, it only filters good things. I know what I've done to address this. One, I, I used to get invited into accept the invitation into political discourse. And I would right. call people out for what I thought was inaccuracy or inconsistencies. I'd be blamed of being all right. I'd be blamed of being, uh, you know, a, a, you know, way to the left. I, I could, and I was trying to call out either side of it. And I don't do any of that now. It just never ends well. It just gives, it, it leaves you anxious and wound up. And the other thing that I do on social media now, and I'll put it now and every now and then, you know, because you get these memories that pop up on Facebook. Right. Who wants to be remembered of, you know, reminded of the stupid fight you got in over the 2016 election? You know, was it 16? Do I have that right? Uh, I mean, you know, so I have a positive post only rule on Facebook now or, and with social media. I try and only post positive things because if I'm going to be reminded of them every year on their anniversary, I want to be reminded of positive stuff. I've got to the point <laughs> where I, on my personal page, I barely post anything unless it's something funny or a music thing that I like or whatever because of what you say. Immediately you post something. I posted a joke a few years ago. That, you know, and it was it was a joke based on some real news going on. And I got called anti-American, anti-military, blah, 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 all this stuff by this guy that I'd known most of my life. And I'm like, what? And I wasn't any of those things. I thought the joke was funny. And, yeah. yeah well, I thought a real life thing. And they didn't find it funny, so. Yeah. Well, I talk a lot. With, I mean, humor can be a double-edged sword and and... and you know, I, I, you know, I've been blessed to to speak at, you know, you know, somewhere above sixty. I quit counting, sixty statewide conferences and thirty national conferences in my speaking career. Uh, but there's certain conferences that, because I'm humor based, that would be reluctant to allow me to have the stage because humor can turn badly. Honestly, uh, in, in the professional speaking environment, I don't ever remember. Uh, well. There was one uh, thing, and this is actually a factual thing. I had made a comment about, uh, 
you know, in healthcare, you're required to offer interpret uh, interpreters uh, for people that you care for, and there's telephone lines uh, systems now that you can do that over the phone. Well, at one time there wasn't, and I know uh, healthcare struggled with the Haitian dialect or language. I'm not sure which is the appropriate reference, but because apparently in Haiti, transportation was not uh, as available as it is elsewhere. So every, you know, along 13, you know, you got Laurel, you got Seaford, you got Bridgeville, you got whatever, every seven miles or so there's a town. Well, apparently there, every seven miles or so, the dialect changed significantly. So you could get somebody that spoke Haitian that couldn't speak to somebody that spoke Haitian. And I made that very real remark, and people got offended by it, and I had to spend our lunch break discussing it. And, uh, you know, there, you know, we can't go through life nerfed up and protected from all these consequences, but we, we just have to – What? let me get back to my point about your joke. When I talk about being a, a leadership in a caregiver environment, you have to establish your intent. The saying is nobody cares what you know unless they in, unless they know uh you know who you are and how you feel i got i got that wrong but do you remember that saying there's a saying like that they don't care i don't they don't care what you yeah, know until sure. they know but anyway i talk about your intent you establish you know your intentions are good because you're good and and you prove that over time and in the real world that tends to get you through a a, a faux pas or an unintended outcome but not in a virtual world you're done no. you know uh and and it, you know it's not real it's it's not real but it sure feels it doesn't there, it yeah well there was a there was a page um much very similar to mine that this past weekend that posted something that they should not have ever posted um the page is now gone they had probably you know around probably 12 13,000 followers um Page is gone. I don't know. They deleted it. The Facebook deleted it, but they posted something they really shouldn't have. And, you know, I, I'm an information and news provider. That is what my page is supposed to be doing. But I'm nobody. I, I'll tell you right now, I'm just, I'm just Dave and I just do my thing. And my thing is I just keep on keeping on. And, you know, I don't put myself above anything. And I feel like that page had put themselves above everything and that they thought that they were, you know, more than they were. And they thought they were protected and that they could post whatever they wanted. And obviously that was found not to be true. One of the posts about it had over a thousand shares about yeah. what they had posted. And, and it's just, you know, it, the, the internet goes much faster than word of mouth and uh, even the speed of light, um, so to speak. So, you know, We've kind of digressed away from comedy, but I do have, you know, a quick comedic question for you. Who, you know, who do you respect as far as comedy? Who, um, who's your, you know, kind of favorites of all time? Oh, I, I respect so many different, uh, styles of comedy. And, uh, I mean, I, one of the challenges I do, it's just a choice that I've made is, is I try and do, Clean comedy. I, I, I because it, it's not that I, I listen. I love all kinds of comedy, but I try and do clean comedy because I find it more of a challenge, and I, I think that it really makes me dig down and and touch the core of 
the you know why what I'm about to say is hunt is funny, and I mean there's there's comics out there. I, I, I like slow comics that that can take their time to. Uh, I mean he's not 100% clean, but I, I'm a big fan of Bill Burr's. I, I, I like Joe Rogan. Uh, on the clean side, I love Brian Regan. Uh, there there there's there's comics that nobody's ever heard of that that I that I've found and appreciate for the 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 simplicity and the and the style of what they do when 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 I do do comedy which I don't do much of and I get nervous or anxious I speed up or feel the need to speed up and I really want to slow down I really want to slow down so the comics that just sort of take their time and and let things happen are the are the ones that I uh, I, I really admire I I have always and I guess in a lot of things, I'm, I don't want to call it traditionalist, but there's some of the classic comedians that I've always really loved. And, you know, George Carlin and, um, you know, uh, Robin Williams is one of my favorite of all time. Um, but, you know, those guys, they knew something, they, they knew how to make a crowd laugh, but they weren't cocky about it, really. I, and I right. think that's, the difference between some of the comedians of today, I feel like they, you better laugh or else, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. And I, I think that's, it's kind of forced, um, where yeah. I don't feel like, I feel like Carlin would have got up and talked to an empty auditorium if he wanted to. Well, he did. <laughs> Not really. He, did, yeah. I don't know if you know this about Carlin, but Carlin actually did very little stand-up comedy. Carlin mm. was a prolific writer. And before he would do a show or a special, he would uh, work out his bits in very small venues, kind of pop-up things, and he would practice it like less than a dozen times, and then he would record it. He wasn't a guy that was in a comedy club every night doing two or three sets, uh, working on his craft. That was, that was never his M.O. You're absolutely right. He would have done what he did to an empty audience. Uh, well, because he was trying, he was more of a social satirist uh, with a comedic bent. I mean, he, he was making points that meant something to him and he just trusted that they meant things to others. Um, I, uh, uh, you know, I, uh, w you know, one of the things about Carlin in my personal story of Carlin that I, uh, I always found this funny. I always said I wanted to see Carlin before one of us died. And I didn't know which one it was going to be, you know, me or him. So I wanted to make sure I was going to see Carlin. So he was playing in Baltimore. I went, saw a show, loved it, of course, come out, and no lie, an ambulance and a fire truck are pulling up out front, and they're running in the building with all their equipment and everything. And I'm like, you killed Carlin. Are you the guy? <laughs> I'm like, I'm like. What kind of timing was this? <laughs> I mean, I didn't mean to cut it that short, but you know, obviously he uh, he did not die at that uh, you know moment. But it was a couple years <laughs> later. I was actually on a I was actually on a cruise, and I had decided because I'm a news junkie and everything. I decided absolutely no news, no events or anything. Woke up on the Monday morning of the cruise, looked up at the uh, trailer of news going across the bottom of the screen, and saw that Carlin had died. So there went. Yeah. Much. Well, but, you know, I mean, uh, the co the comedian in me wants to say, you know, he's still dead. You know, the, uh, you when you found out wasn't going to change that. But 
But what you just described with, with where your mind went uh, is kind of a it, – it, it's we did it in a humorous way. But it is one of the cognitive distortions. It's called, you know, mental filtering or jumping to conclusions. You know, a thought was in your mind, and you can't get rid of that thought when the things around you are occurring. So when those ambulances came up, your mind went back to that, and we – we start to believe that, you know, like our mind can preordain things and, you know, we could start this podcast all over and follow that rabbit trail. But, um, you know, it's, it, it's just, it's just healthy to be able to look back and put these things in perspective. And for me, you know, I, I, you know, comedy has always been a way to help me do that. Yeah. I think it's, I mean, and I, again, you know, we've talked about it at the beginning and you said, you know, I'm not a comedian and all that kind of stuff, but it's still, that's a skill that you have. You know, I talk about it all the time. It's like photography. <laughs> I do photography. I do photography and photography. Everybody thinks they can be a photographer. It's the same thing with comedy. Everybody thinks they can be a comedian, but not everybody's funny. And I think, uh, I, you know, from what I give you a list of people that don't think I'm that funny, but. <laughs> <laughs> but but isn't that what we think about anything? I can give you a list of people that hate my photography. So I mean, yeah. and I'm probably like number four or five on the list sometimes. But um, yeah. <laughs> it's just, it, you know, it is. I, I I hate using the it is what it is, but it is what it is. You know, I yeah. you know just our conversation so far, you've made me laugh. I don't laugh yeah. every day. Well, maybe I laugh at myself most days, but that's different entirely. But, um, you know, back to the caregiver role, you know, what is, and, and I'll try to wrap it up after this because I know you have other things to do today, but um, other than just talk to me on the phone, um, I wish that wasn't true, but, you know, I'm sure you have a life. Um, you know, <laughs> with, the care, with the caregiver role, you know, what do you see as far as technology changing that, um, you know, support groups and stuff like that have popped up on the Internet, and I think that helps people dealing with caring people. But what technology do you think has changed the caregiving industry and people being able to care for their own loved ones and things like that? What's, what's the state of health care as far as caregiving? And technology. Uh it, it, it's a great question, and it's it could go a million paths with it. I mean, like technology has, you know, you can you can get your pacemaker checked over the phone. You can do with telemedicine. You can have a virtual visit with doctors. You can do a lot of things with technology now that you never could before. They're they're even talking about robotics uh, to help uh, with the caregiver dilemma of being able to, you know, the, the, the senior living industry needs to recruit like 1.5 million people just to meet the current need, uh, projected over the next five years. I mean, we're going to have to embrace technology because we just don't have enough people to, to fill all the slots that are out there. But at the same time, technology can be bad because it, it breaks that bond that we all really rely on. Uh, when the rubber meets the road for our own emotional well-being. Uh, technology can be bad, like we talked about with social media. I mean, if you're truly shut in because the role of caregiver that you might be uh, fulfilling at the time and you can't get out into society, you can look through the window of the computer and see the virtual world, and that can be very uplifting and helpful. 
but some will use it to remain isolated. They will believe that they are out there in the world when they're really not. And my whole thing is that I'm advocating for pro-per relationships, the professional caregivers that are out there to help the personal family caregivers to respect one another so nobody has to be alone on their caregiver's journey. I know that sounds cliche because it's a, it's, it's, you know, it's like a cute term, caregiver's journey, but so many people end up alone when they don't need to be. One of the internet challenges that I've had because I've had my history as a, as a, as a nurse and I've been a nursing home administrator, uh, for a lot of years. People thought I was trying to sort of, you know, fool people or trick people into moving into a senior living community or a nursing home or what have you. That's not not even close. What it, whether it's home health, whether it's family care, what, whatever it is, I just don't want people to be alone and feel isolated and 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 filled with guilt and fear. Uh, so the internet and technology, I think, as a double-edged sword, but there's there's no replacing the need for human touch. We're social beings. Uh, we need others in order to be our, our full selves. And don't you think, and at least I think this way, and, you know, you talked a little bit about your history, and I have a little history myself with a loved one that, you know, had mental illness and everything. I I find it interesting that I feel like that's the new challenge as far as caregiving and as, you know, people get older. You know, we have a mental health crisis in this country, whether people want to admit it or not. As the people that are going through these mental crises age, are the caregivers going to be equipped to deal with this, in your opinion? Well, there's a huge challenge in understanding uh, aging, understanding dementia, understanding our own mortality. Uh, there's there's a, a thing called, uh, you know, surplus safety where we protect folks that are vulnerable to the point where we don't let them live, uh, and we create an isolation through the need to love and care for them. I use the term abundance of caution, and some of my stories talk about how we restrict people uh, from living. I mean, it, you know, uh, I mean, I could be your guest, you know, for the next five weeks in a row and, and, and not exhaust this subject. But, but you, know, you know, I talk about awareness, acceptance, and allowance as the three phases. Be aware of the circumstances as they actually are objectively. You know, accept that some things need to change either within you or the circumstances you're within, and you need to allow others into your life to join you on your caregiver's journey. We cannot see ourselves the way other people see us, and we cannot see the challenges before us the way they actually are because we're too close to it. And and just having an understanding of what is a natural aging process or how dementia works and and how mortality works, um, uh, we're all just here for a period of time. And that's very tough to embrace when it's talking about a loved one of yours. And that's, I mean, and even, even oneself knowing that there's an end coming is hard for some people to deal with. I mean, I know, you know, I'm, you know, I'm approaching 50 in a couple of years and I, you know, that mortality, while maybe not 
hopefully not being close to the end of my life, it's still there. And that, that as you get older, I'm sure that increases, you know. And that's, for a lot of people, that's a new journey that they're not used to. And I know I'm not saying anything that's, you know, earth-shattering or new or anything like that, but I think it's a point that gets lost about how stressful just a living is that people... I'm glad... Go ahead. I'm glad we're finding a high note to end this uh, podcast. <laughs> yeah, well, I was going to get to that. I, I was going to get to that. But, I mean, but, uh, but one see, of my, to me, these are real conversations that need to happen that people, oh, you know, like the whole the whole purpose of the, the this podcast is to talk on the phone. Who talks on the phone anymore? Oh, quick quick joke about that. And uh, from the stage, I always say, here's your motivation. Someday we're all going to die. Now go have a nice day. You know, and and then it, it, you know, and then I go into the Rotarian thing where they say if it is to be, it is up to me. You know, it's a more positive aspect of the same thing. But a quick joke about two two on the phone, and then if I could, I'd like to offer something to your audience before we say goodbye. My mom sent me a note uh, encouraging me to go talk to my doctor, Curtis Smith. Uh, and it, I was going through a rough time as a single dad raising my kids, and she thought I might be depressed or what have you. And I got there. And he said, you're not depressed, you know, uh, here, read this book. He gave me a book called Feeling Good by Dr. Burns. It talked about cognitive distortions. And a lot of the things that I was going through were in that book. And it absolutely, I didn't feel alone. I felt like I wasn't the only one. I felt like there was a path forward. There was nothing, you know, I mean, it was a very enlightening moment with me. But when I went in, I said, Dr. Smith, I'm here because my mom told me to come. And he goes, yeah, I know she sent me a note. (laughs) (laughs) And I said, isn't that HIPAA? He goes, look, I read the note. I didn't talk to your mom. I'm talking to you. But the point is, is that in my podcast the other night, uh, Paula Sangalier, who was gracious enough to interview me for my own podcast so I could get my story out before we start telling other people's stories, she said, so this was before they invented phones, right? And I didn't even realize she was joking. And I was like, Paula, you're forcing the bit. And then I just realized you're you're right you know i mean you know her point was you know why didn't she just call you on the phone she wrote you a note and we don't talk on the phone anymore so i thank you for doing this and i thank you for teaching me because there's some stories out there that uh, in my world that people got to tell that if i don't figure out how to do two on a phone i'm not going to be able to have them tell those stories to my audience yeah and you know you just gave me a great idea for um I, uh, like a mailing i'll do two notes back and forth from people or something, you know? I mean, yeah. nobody sends notes either. No. And for my mom in her generation, the note was much more intimate. And there's, there's a phenomenon about a biurnal, diurnal, monurnal, you know, like whether things are two or one. I mean, a, a note I can read at my leisure. I can read repeatedly. I can read in my own time when my head space is clear and she can get it off of her mind and know she's done a good thing. Whereas with a phone, people have to react immediately. It might get confrontational. You could step on each other. You know, every form of communication uh, has its pros and cons. But the key is to keep reaching out and connecting with people. Um, now, can I share something? Invent, if they could yeah. just invent a way electronically to send notes, that would be so cool. Oh, you think maybe? How I wonder. Do you think we get a penny for every note they send? <laughs> it would be. I, a gr- I would. I, that's another great idea right there. We'll have to work on that. Um, I could have made. I, I made you a lot of money this morning. 
And I'll tell you, the fist bump, I mean, I, now that we've brought that up, I'd tell you, I'm, I'm going to be doing all sorts of research this afternoon about monitoring fist bumps. But um, <laughs> I really want to thank you uh, for taking the time to be on the episode uh, this week. Um, you know, I never – it's kind of like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. But I always think, you know, I learned something from talking with my guests, and I'm hoping that everybody out there learned something. And I hope, you know, maybe I taught you a thing or two. But um, in closing, do you want to, you know, do some shout-outs and, you know, that kind of thing? I'd just like to thank those of you on Facebook or wherever else that have been following my Defender of Caregivers uh, journey for low these many years where I've been trying to help people uh, and, and make it clear what my mission was. I'm an advocate for caregivers of all types. I want to offer something to your listening audience. I've been blessed to find enough people that that are hiring me to teach their professionals how to communicate with personal family caregivers. So everything I do for personal family caregivers, I want to give away, whether it's my book or, or my appearances. Uh, I've done a couple of uh, fundraisers. Uh, I have a play that I do called Defending the Caregiver, which is kind of like Charles Dickens' Ghost of Christmas Past, where this alter ego I talked about earlier, Doc, the Defender of Caregivers comes to me uh, after I've gone to my dad on his deathbed, and he asks me to tell the audience three classic stories of awareness, acceptance, and allowance. And then Doc explains to me what's going on in those stories. And it's a wonderful one-hour presentation. Uh, it's perfect for churches and civic organizations. If there's anybody out there that wants to do a fundraiser and wants to have a wonderful message and event, Get in touch with me uh, through DefenderOfCaregivers.com, LonKiefer.com, wherever. Reach out to me. I'll be glad to donate my time uh, to, to, to be part of your event. And I'll, I'll make sure that, you know, I post that. I'm sure he's speaking and gets out to, you know, my readers there also when I post the podcast. And, um, you know, I just, like I said, Thank you not only for being on the podcast, but thank you for doing what you do because it's obviously important that, you know, we give the best care that we can give. You know, the news only reports the bad things that happen. I think, you know, positive stories like yours and what you're trying to do should be out there much more. Well, Dave, I can't thank you enough for letting me come on, letting me tell people about Caregiver Stories podcast. Uh, and, and for letting me be one of two on a phone. And I like to close my end of things with saying, Dave, thank you for caring. Well, that ends another episode of Two on the Phone. And, um, you know, please, uh, you know, go like Lon's stuff. And um, we'll see you next week on Two on the Phone. Thank you for listening to this episode of Two on the Phone. Please follow us on Facebook two on the phone. Also, please, for timely and accurate news and information, follow Shore News Beacon on Facebook. <laughs>